And in chapter 19, verse 13 and 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We called a little child and had him stand among us. And he said, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 19, I mean chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. So the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as you. Father, we thank you that you have drawn and are continually drawing ourselves to you. We thank you for that gift. And that gift uh, comes in mysterious, sometimes very difficult circumstances. But we trust, we trust your word, Jesus, that you said you would never leave us as orphans. We thank you that you said that you would never leave us or forsake us. And as we, as we meditate on, on things that are hard, the difficult circumstances that we face, Father, would you uh, gift us with your love and your presence, that we would know the truth of that song that we just sung, that nothing, no scheme of hell, no power of man, could ever take us from your hand. That nothing can take us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Over the period of, of about a month and a half, Jenny had become very weak and was constantly feeling sick. So leaving her young son, Billy, with her brother for the day, she went to the doctor. And he administered a battery of tests. And it came to the point where he had to tell her that she was suffering from cancer. With compassion, the physician told her that her condition was not good. She had a a rare type of cancer that would spread rapidly and that would not be able to be treated. She asked the physician, so how long do I have? responded, you have, at the outset, three months to live. And when she returned home, she told her brother the news. And not knowing exactly what to say, he kind of just asked, so how are you holding up? 
says, I'm fine, but I just don't know how to tell little Billy. You know, I've been driving home and over and over in my mind, I'm trying to think, how can I tell him? Can you help me? Can you help me to tell Billy? So, my brother said, I'll, I'll do the best I can. Took a deep breath. Said a quick prayer and, and went out to the backyard where Billy was playing. Called Billy and he said, Billy, you know, your mom has been feeling really sick lately. And, and it seems, Billy, that your mom's going to take a long trip. The little boy in his childish innocence looked up to the eyes of his uncle and said, Can I ask a couple questions, uncle? He says, Of course, Billy. He said, Well, uncle, how, how long is my mommy going to be gone? And when's she going to go? Again, the uncle swallowed hard and hugged the boy a little more firmly and he said, Billy, I'm afraid your mom isn't going to be coming back. And then he looked up at the big tree in the yard. It was the latter part of August, and leaves were just beginning to change color. And so he said, Billy, when the leaves have all fallen to the ground from the tree, your mother will be gone. Over the next two months, her brother, Jenny's brother, came to visit and care for both his sister and his nephew. And uh, after nearly three months had ended, he, he came for a visit, and she was very weak. She had lost a lot of weight. She was hardly able to speak. And he asked, how's it going? And in her weak voice, she said, I'm fine. But I haven't seen Billy much today. He stays in the backyard and I, and I just, I can't get up to go and see what he's up to. Can you please go just to the backyard and see what's going on? And so the uncle went to the backyard and he looked, but he didn't see Billy. And so he called, Billy, Billy, where are you? And just then he heard a small, a small quivering voice. And he looked up into the tree. And he saw Billy with his pockets stuffed full of leaves, with string. And he was trying to tie the leaves back on the tree. He says, Uncle, I don't want the leaves to fall. I don't want my mom to go. Each of us has experienced or will experience pain and suffering of some kind. All of us will be faced with the death of loved ones as well as our own death. And I think most, if not all of us, are like little Billy. If we could just stop the leaves from falling, if we could stop the pain, the suffering, the death, we would do anything to make it so. Or at least if we couldn't stop it, maybe we, if we could just rewind the seasons, rewind the clock a little bit, just have a do-over, try again. And I think sometimes the pain and the suffering, it comes swiftly, it catches us by surprise, and leaves us reeling from the shock of it all. And we kind of think, how could this happen? Where's God? Or other times a loved one that we meet has pain and suffering over a period of months or years or even decades. And we, and we ask the question, why? The psalmist in Psalm 15 says, how long, O Lord, how long does this have to go on? 
And I think before we explore these, these questions together this morning, I think it's important to say at the outset that, that many of God's people over the centuries have shared the same feelings, have had the same confusion or, or the exhaustion, the anger, the anxiety that we might feel. For thousands of years, faithful followers of Christ have, have questioned the ways of God and, and what seems to be his lack of hearing or seeing or, or taking action. And the, the biblical writers in the book of Lamentations says, like, God, why do you always forsake us? Why do you forget us for so long? The psalmist in Psalm 42 says, I say to God, my rock, so there's a faith in God. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes, they, they taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Will the Lord reject forever? This is what we read this morning. Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has he forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Mary and Martha, after the death of their brother Lazarus, they didn't necessarily ask the question, where were you? But they said, Lord, if you had only been here, God, if you just, you know, our brother, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus, on the night that he was crucified, knowing exactly why he had to go to the cross, Jesus knowing that he was totally in the Father's will, that he would rise again, cried out with the Psalm of David, who was the first to pen these words. He says, My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? The questions you and I share in the midst of pain and suffering and death have been felt and asked by many, many faithful ones for many, many years. And there are some answers. But I'd also have to admit that there, are, there is mystery involved in all of this. Yet this morning I'd like to share some of the things that that God has been teaching me and leading me to on the why, the where is God, when these things happen, and most importantly, how, how pain, suffering, and death can draw us close, close to Him as His children. Last week, John uh, shared pictorially a little bit from Genesis. And just kind of the broad story, the continuing story of God's work. And when we just even begin this discussion of, of why is there sin, is there suffering in our broken world, and it's, it's that sin has come. And so our good God created a good world. But from Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God, we had sin that came into the world. And the wages of sin, as Paul notes in, in Romans, is, is death. So death entered into our world. And if, then we have Christ coming to pay the penalty for that sin, to win the victory over death, and to pay the penalty for our sin. And so Christ did come. But, but as John said last week, we're, we're in that in-between time. We're in that place where it's already here, but it's not yet. It's, Christ's kingdom has come. 
But Christ's kingdom is coming in fullness. And we, together, we, we, we live in that in-between place where, where Christ is present, and yet maybe not exactly as, or as fully as we would love to see him present. And as I was thinking about that, and particularly the, the story of sin coming into the world, this record of, of how it happened, the question is, you know, where was God in that? And the fact is, he was there. He came, even though the children that he loved, his creation, had disobeyed him. He came and he, and he covers their shame. He calls out his beloved children. Talks about God walking there. Where are you? Don't, don't hide from me. I know you're feeling shame. You're feeling guilt. Come out. And what does God do? Right at the very beginning, he, he sacrifices an animal, but to, in a sense of covering. He covers their sin. He covers their shame. Where is God when sin sins? God is there covering their shame, her guilt. Another, why is there suffering and death? You know, the Bible does say that, that it is sin in this general sense that has entered the world. But it, also, it is also sins. There's a, a personal aspect, but not too fun aspect to talk about. At times, we do things that have negative consequences for ourselves and for others. And, and as some of the reading that I've done has said, you know, probably up to 95% of the suffering that we experience in, this, in our lives and in this world is, is actually the result of choices that you and I make to do or not to do certain things. And if I'm honest with myself, far too often I'm, I'm the cause of someone else's suffering. But likewise, there are also times that our, our sins bring our own suffering. We read in the Old Testament of Moses' sister Miriam. And she kind of wants to, you know, I want to be the leader here. I want to be the boss. <laughs> and God says, uh-uh. And she gets leprosy for a time. And in the New Testament, we have when, when Jesus is establishing his church, and everybody's sharing a lot of stuff together, you know, and, hey, you know, here's some, I'm going to sell some property today, and I'm going to give it to the church, and, which is really actually a very beautiful expression of the love of Christ. But Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't take it so seriously, and so, well, you know, let's, let's sell some, but let's just keep some back. And we'll just say, yeah, here it is, you know, the sale from our property, here's all the money. And God takes it very seriously as he's establishing his new covenant people. He says, uh-uh, no lies. No pretending in this place. And they suffer the consequences. They die. But it must be said, and please hear me on this, that this is very much the exception that God, in his mercy and in his grace, he most often reserves his judgment for that final day when Christ returns. And says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He will come to judge the living and the dead. So God is gracious and merciful and he holds it off. And I want to stress this because sometimes we feel false guilt. We, when I was a teenager um, and I first began suffering from Crohn's disease, 
would often come at night times, not so much during the day. And I would go to bed. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with Crohn's disease, it's very, very painful in your abdomen. And I would kind of curl up in my bed because I was cramping and it was very painful. And I remember at those times when I was a teen saying, I'm sorry, God, I won't do it again. I'm sorry. And I didn't even know what I was sorry for. I didn't know what, but I just had this overwhelming sense of, I must have done something wrong because I'm in so much pain. And God's punishing me for that. But that is not the case. There is no particular sin in my life that God said, okay, young, you're going to pay. But we often, I think, we carry that. We suffering or painful things come into our lives and we say, well, God must be just hammering me. But that is not... God does at times. And He does take sin very seriously. But He is a God of grace and mercy that He withholds our judgment and He offers Himself in order to pay for those sins so that we might not suffer the consequences. And Jesus Himself, He, he tells us that that's the truth. He's uh, walking along with His disciples and they come across... A fellow that was born blind, and so they say, hey, Jesus, you know, was it in, was it in the womb that, that this guy sinned, or was it his mom or dad? Because, I mean, it must have been something. Jesus says, neither. Sometimes also, the Bible does say that our suffering, the painful times that we go through, are part of the loving discipline of God. And if we, as we read through the Old Testament, through their, the Old Testament people of God, there's set many times where, where God uh, has them go through trials, has them go through, uh, catches their attention through adversity, and He says, Come back to me, my people, come back. And the same can sometimes be true for the, for the New Testament people of God. I want to read from the book of Romans, chapter 12. Where the writer says this. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And, you, and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as, as sons. My son, it says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he, he punishes everybody that he accepts as a son. And dear hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you aren't disciplined, and everybody undergoes discipline of some kind, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. None of us wants to be called the B word, eh? <laughs> we want to be legitimate kids. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us. And we respected them for that. So how much should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And yet later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's not pleasant at the time. And I certainly don't want to minimize the pain that we sometimes experience. But the writer to the Hebrews is saying that even this 
At times, not, all, not every pain or suffering that we go through, but at times, God does allow things to happen, in essence, to us, to discipline us, to draw us back to himself. And several times I recall for myself again that uh, with, as the disease of my, my Crohn's disease progressed, I spent quite a, a few weeks in the hospital at different times in my life. And I know, for me, one of the things that God was doing is saying, DeYoung, slow down. Uh, this is a bit of a rest for you. And I want you to rest in me, Dave. And, uh, and rest also spiritually. We, I'm going to heal you physically through what the doctors are doing, but I also want to heal you spiritually. And while neither me nor my family really wanted me to go into the hospital, and it's, it's uh, certainly it developed our trust in God. And I think it's developed and matured our relationship together, particularly for Megan and I, going through those things together. And so there, there's that sense of hope that it wasn't pleasant at the time, as the writer to the Hebrews says, but, but God is doing something through that and has done that for me. I also... In my experiences with Young Life, uh, at different times, I've come up against very strong opposition, sometimes from those outside of the church, in our witness, and sometimes within the church. And it was disheartening, and it was challenging. None of us enjoyed it, but I look back on those, and and with my friends in Young Life, that that we went through this hurt together, there there were times of significant growth of of reflecting on, okay, like, is this young life thing worth doing? Like, like, should we, like, is this evangelism thing? Or are we doing it right? You know, at least as best as we know how. Certainly we have room to grow. And, uh, and I think it just renewed our vision. And it did correct us where we were like, yeah, we kind of, you know, <laughs> stepped over the line just a little bit there with some of our humor or some of the things that, you know, we, the risks that we were taking with kids, that was just a little too far. Let's, let's accept that correction. But God used that disciplining, those, but at times were very hurtful words to, to mature us and bring us back to himself and focus our vision. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, so where, again, is, is Jesus as we go through these disciplining trials? And as we read from, from Hebrews, he's, he's our brother. That he is there, he's there with us. He suffered and tasted death so that he might set us free from, from the fear of death. There was a sense where discipline played a role in Christ's life. It says he, he was perfected and matured through that suffering that he went through. And because he suffered when he was tempted, he can help us when we also go through temptation. Finally, I, I believe that our, our pain and our suffering and our experiences of death can lead us to become what we really, what we really are. And as we pray, it's that we really are God's children. When we are in pain and suffering, when we approach our own death, we come to a time in our lives when we become increasingly dependent. None of us necessarily wants to depend on others. I know for myself, I stubbornly fight. The Dutchman in me says, you know, 
I gotta keep keep going. <laughs> but again, with my with my own Crohn's disease, uh, it's forced me in many ways to dependence on others. When I had my first very acute attack as a young adult, I was living in Victoria, and I woke up on a Sunday morning, and I couldn't even get myself out of bed. My, I could hear my roommates milling around, and so I called them over, and, and they actually physically lifted me out of bed, helped me to put my clothes and my shoes on, and then took me to the hospital. Uh, a few months later, uh, I was finally diagnosed as to what this was that was happening with my Crohn's disease. And I, with my father, we visited a doctor in Victoria. And I remember, I'm not sure whether it was the physical exhaustion of the disease that had been going on for for over a month and a half, uh, quite acutely, or whether it was just the relief of the anxiety. Finally, uh, we can name it. But whatever it was, I remember we, we had just left the doctor's office and we got into the, uh, into the elevator. And, uh, and my dad saw me and he grabbed me because I just started to collapse. And I had to depend on my father to, to carry me out of the elevator and, and just help me limp along to the car. I've also had one major surgery for my Crohn's disease. And I remember as I was uh, brought to the um, surgical ward, uh, they positioned me on the table. And, and <laughs> I remember the anesthetist trying to help me feel um, you know, at ease with what was going to happen. And so you know, he kind of lays my arms out. He says, do you know what this is called? I'm like, yeah, everybody that I know that's been in that position has died. <laughs> so, the humor didn't really help me that much. <laughs> but I also remember just, as I, just before I went in for my surgery, <laughs> um, one of the things that happens uh, with... John's always encouraged me to be vulnerable, so here we go. <laughs> one of the things that, that is a part of Crohn's disease is that oftentimes you, you have an incontinence. You can't, you can't control your bowels. How's that for And but w- when I went into my surgery, I just I remember I, I was laying down on the table and I had to say, I gotta go. I gotta go to the bathroom. But they'd already strapped me in, so I can't get up. <laughs> and it was just this normal feeling of like, I'm gonna go to sleep and I gotta crap my pants in front of all these professional people. <laughs> and it was very much just like but for me. In each of these instances, when we, when we come to this place of total dependence and surrender, you know, it brings us back, in a sense, to, to being a child again. And there's a sense where God, in leading us through these painful trials, is saying, come back to me, be the child that you are. Trust in me, avail yourself to me. It's the dependence of of childlikeness that, that also leads to, in a sense, a new fruitfulness in our lives. We can, we can take that suffering and the pain, even the death that we face, and it can be something that is fruitful as opposed to something that is life-taking. Henry Nowen is, is an author that I was reading in this last week on this, and I just wanted to read a few things that he, he said in this regard. He says, Life is lived from dependence to dependence. That's the mystery that God has revealed to us through Jesus, whose life was a journey from the manger to the cross. And we too must move from action to passion, 
from being in control to being dependent, from taking initiatives to having to wait, from living to dying. And it's not easy to trust that our lives will bear fruit through this kind of dependence, because for the most part we, we ourselves experience dependence as, as a uselessness and burdensome. We often feel discomfort and fatigue, confusion, disorientation, pain. It's hard to see that there's any fruit that comes from this kind of vulnerability. You see only a body and a mind that's broken to pieces by the plow that others hold in their hands or by the uncontrollable effects of disease or nature. Believing that our lives come to fulfillment and dependence requires a tremendous step of faith. Everything that we see or feel, and everything that our society suggests to us through the values and ideas that it holds up to us, point in the opposite direction. Success counts, not fruitfulness, and certainly not fruitfulness that comes through being passive, but passion is God's way shown to us through the cross of Jesus. It's the way we try to avoid at all costs, but it is the way to salvation. Jesus said, in all truth I tell you, unless a wheat grain falls to the earth and dies, it remains only a single grain. But if it dies, it yields a rich harvest. So where is God when our independence is lost? I think he's waiting. He's waiting with open arms to receive us, to bless us, to take all of our hurt, our questions, our anxieties, our anxious cries. He says, let the little children come to me because my kingdom belongs to them. He says, come to me, who, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's waiting for us as children to come in dependence and trust. To walk with us through our trials and pains, but also to lead us on our way home. For we are all on a journey to dependence, but also to the place where we see our Heavenly Father face to face. I'd like to close with one last story. I think it's very helpful in, in seeing, helping us to see how pain can be this, this journey to new life. There were twins that were talking to one another in the womb. And the sister said to the brother, I believe there is life after birth. Her brother protested vehemently. He says, no, 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 no. This is all there is. This is a dark and cozy place. We have nothing else to do but to cling to the cord that feeds us. But the little girl insisted, there must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else, a place where there is light and the freedom to move. She still could not convince her twin brother. After some silence, the sister said hesitantly, I've got something else to say. I'm afraid you're not going to believe that either. But you know, I think there's a mother. Her brother became furious. A mother? Like, what are you talking about? We've never seen a mother. Neither have you. Like, like what put, who put that idea in your head? As I told you, this is the only place that we have. Why do you always want more? This is not such a bad place. You know, all we, all we need, we have all that we need here. Let's just be content. Well, the sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response, and for a while she didn't dare say anything more. 
but she couldn't let go of her thoughts. And so she, since she only had her twin brother to speak to, she finally said, don't you feel these squeezes every once in a while? They're quite unpleasant. And even at times painful. Yeah, I said, so what's so special about that? Well, the sister said, I think that these squeezes are there to get us ready for another place. It's much more beautiful than this, where we will see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? The brother didn't answer. He was fed up with the foolish talk of his sister, felt the best thing that he could do is just ignore her. It is admittedly hard for us to think beyond our present lives, to think beyond the suffering that we presently go through, to the truth that there is a God who, in the end, welcomes us to new and everlasting life with Him. That the painful squeezes of this life may very well be a sign that there is something better and more beautiful to come. And that even death can be the painful passage that brings us face to face with God and to your life with Him. Amen? Amen. This time we're going to just show um, the words to a song and, and play that over the sound system as a way of. Uh, <laughs> Before we do a gentle squeeze from your mother, raise the bar on vulnerability. <laughs> Father, we pray for Dave because we know that every echo in us about suffering and how we struggle with it is also in your heart. We get it from you. You don't delight to watch anyone suffer but you work through it and despite it. And Lord, we bless you for Dave and for his openness and we pray uh, because we're going to refuse to accept that we shouldn't stop praying for healing. And we pray for you to heal Dave completely of Crohn's. And most of us will stand here and say, Lord, we don't believe, but we don't care about that. We care about Dave. And we know that you are able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. And it's because of what you have done, Jesus, your resurrection, your, your power, that we, like those little children locked in the womb, we cry out to you and we pray for your healing upon our brother. We pray your blessing upon him and that you restore his body completely and be a miracle among us. And as we listen to the words of this song now, however, Lord, we might suffer, however we might feel pain, however we might be crying out and saying, but God, but Jesus, what about me? Will you just minister to us, Lord, in our weakness, our unbelief, our tiredness? And may the love of Jesus, the light of Jesus, come into every place where hopelessness has trapped us. So let's just listen to the song and let God come close. <laughs> 